Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I had to go about it, write it out, and find it myself. And there's some stories I can tell you. It's the final Word Cricket Podcast with Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon. Season 12, episode 13. It's Wednesday the 6th of July and it's all for Advanced Test Studio, the world leaders in hair restoration. We're back at Gaul International Cricket Stadium. It's a couple of days before the second test. It's been the longest gap ever between what's in theory back-to-back test matches Mm -hmm. with the first one finishing in two and a half days. There's a lot going on around the cricketing world as ever. Another staggering performance from England's men, which we'll come to later. Uh, Because we missed the weekly show in transit last week, we're yet to talk about Owen Morgan's retirement. That'll also come later, as will the women's test match in Taunton. India's women are also with us, not literally with us, but they're in Sri Lanka, mm-hmm. another part of the country. They're not in Gaul, they're in Colombo. Uh, and a rarity for us, of late anyway, uh, we're having a conversation with an Australian test player, Alex Carey. Jeff, welcome to you. And that may not even be the biggest news this week in, in our final word world. We might need to look to another sport. We may need to look at uh, a little bit of crossover action. If you've listened to the show, you will know about the great delight with which we have followed the career of one Jodie Hicks, uh, her time in the Big Bash, her time in Sydney first grade women's cricket. And now she's getting another go at the AFLW. She did play a season, two seasons maybe, for the GWS Giants some seasons ago. She dropped out. She was doing cricket more. She's been drafted again. And if they don't just use her as the unused medical sub for every game to reflect her Sydney Sixers career, um, <laughs> then it would be a triumph. She's already kicked three goals eight in AFLW football. So she's had twice as many scoring shots as she scored runs in the WBBL because she was never given the chance to bat. I think she's made a good career move after mm-hmm. all the thanks for comings that she recorded with the Sixers. And I think she was yeah. ultimately left off the list, wasn't she? she yes, this, this last season. She, got, she was um, signed up the first five years she got contracts at different times one of them came halfway through a season but she was she was on their list for each of the first five seasons right if, you, yeah. if you're relatively new to the final word just uh, go into the search terms on the podcast and pop in Jody Hicks and that'll explain why we're going on about mm. this it's significant in our world also before we crack on uh, to the main part of our conversation today an apology for yesterday's daily show it went out with a gaming ad in some markets we're not quite sure mm. how that happened we promised the other week when we announced the arrangement that that wouldn't happen. I assume it's human error. It has been communicated back up the chain. We promise it will never happen again. Well, yeah, it's, it's, it has to not happen. So the thing about these ads is they're automatic. They get yeah. dropped in and there are different ones in different places and there are very, very strong terms in place that said that none of those on our show to be gambling ads. So if you ever hear one, 
Let, let us, us know because it shouldn't be happening. Yeah, a number of our final word listeners who know full well that it wouldn't have been us electing to go down that path told us overnight. I woke up to a, a string of messages and and uh, and tweets and yeah, we've mm. when they wake up in London, uh, they will they will in turn have messages from me saying please take that down immediately. So, yeah. Jeff, I said we're in uh, in Sri Lanka for one more week, one more Test match. Sri Lanka have made some changes. We're watching training in front of us right now, out towards the fort where uh, we've seen Alex Carey doing some practice. You'll mm-hmm. chat to him in a moment. It looks as though the Sri Lankans are going to change the configuration of their spin bowling group. They've dropped Lasith Embaldinia, who had a mare last week. It's funny because he was so good here against England 14, 15 months ago. He was brought back into the team late last year. He felt like the most threatening bowler on paper for Australia to come up against. In the end, he went for loads. Well, and I've just watched Mitchell Stark just spray one two metres down the leg side, <laughs> down to the boundary for five, probably wide, although the keeper's got a few um, unfair buys recorded against them during the first Test match. Yeah, um, Alex Carey was doing a lot of work out there just before we were watching him getting that positioning right, pointing himself towards mid-off so that he's got that open view and mm. he's been doing a lot of work on his keeping and, yes, we, we will chat to him in a moment about that. And Sri Lanka, they've, they've formally brought into their squad a man who played in the one-day internationals, Denith Walalagay, who really impressed a 19-year-old left-arm spinner. But I watched a lot of him uh, yep. in limited over stuff and thinks he'll come straight back into the team at the expense of Ed Baldinia. And they've got other options as well. Yeah, Mahesh Tikshana, the, he's the sort of mystery spinner, Karen Baller, etc., who has proved so effective in white ball cricket. Um, those tricks don't always carry over into test cricket, but he's a possibility. He might play instead of Van der Say Industries, uh, Jeffrey Van der Say, who, who debuted, but they've, they've brought in another couple of spinners. They've got about 15 spinners at their disposal in the squad, and they'll go with the same batting lineup, which was more of the problem in the first test than the bowlers. Yeah, at least it's they get... the bowlers, isn't it? Every <laughs> team that loses changes the bowlers. At least they get Angela Matthews back, who returns yeah. from his COVID-19 isolation. As for Australia, because they won, they'll be unchanged. Uh, unless there's a late injury, uh, Glenn Maxwell will miss out and Travis Head will retain his spot, helped along by the fact that he took four for ten in the second innings here on Friday. Jeff, it's a busy show, lots to get through, so let's throw straight to your conversation yesterday with Australian wicketkeeper Alex Carey. Alex Carey, nice of you to drop in to join the final word briefly. No pleasure, it's great to um, great to be able to have a chat. It seems seemed to us watching you in the first test here like you've got the game to work in these conditions. You, you keep low when you're wicket-keeping, you keep low when you're batting, the, the sweep that we've been seeing you play a lot since 2018 in the UAE especially. Do you feel like you found yourself a little bit of a, a natural home here? Um, yeah, look, obviously conditions are, have been quite challenging and... Um, it's been exciting to stand behind the stumps to some of our spinners and, and seeing the ball spin as much as it has. Um, and I guess that's given a little bit of information going out to bat. Um, yeah, oh, look, I'm excited for Test 2 to come around and, yeah, try to try to go again and, and, and back up, I guess, the, the performances that we've had. No doubt Sri Lanka will bounce back really strongly and it's going to be a great Test match come Friday. So a couple of days' preparation get the broom back out in the nets and um, and see how we go. <laughs> uh, it felt like things started to click for you in Pakistan. You had the, the big score in Karachi and, and your wicket-keeping got better as that tour went on, it seems, looking on. Did that give you confidence coming into here or, or is it is it so different over here because it's, you know, they're yeah. spinning conditions but they're very different spinning conditions? Yeah, I think you can draw from some experiences over there. We you know the conditions are, are different to Australia in terms of the climate, um, yeah, obviously the 
the wicket was a little bit different here in Gault and mm. some of the ones in Pakistan, but it, it still had its challenges. Played lots of spin, some reverse swing ball. You know, the more the test went on over there, the, the, the ball did spin a bit more. So, yeah, I think as well, being around the group, you know, for another tour, having the one-day series lead in has, has also been good to, yeah, play on some spinning conditions and against their spinners, having a look. But also understanding that's only one test match and, yeah, we've, we've, we've got to go again. It's, it's been nice to, to have a couple of days off, but um, also really exciting to, to get back out into training today for the lead-up until Friday. Does it make your relationship with your spinners different when you're keeping to more overs of spin? You've got to work so closely with them to know what their longer-term plans are rather than just having the one spinner in Australia? Yeah, it's it's great. I'm close with, with all our um, spinners and groups, so to to have a bit of bubble life in the last couple of months and, and years, it's you know you get a great relationship off the field with those type of guys. And then I guess it's, yeah, on the field, you, the more you do it, you, you get a pretty... You get a better understanding on types of deliveries, um, subtle changes, balls that spin, balls that try to skid. Yeah, and like I said, it's it's one performance um, for our spinners, and and we've yeah got to uh, got to go out there on Friday and, and see what you know the wicket throws up this time. No doubt there'll be spin throughout. I, I don't know if it'll be as early, but yeah, it's going to be an exciting challenge. I thought you might like to know our, our colleague Scott Bailey over there walked into a swimming pool the other day. <laughs> good man, good I just, man. Just thought I'd share that with you. They Things said, are going to change for him. They said, your friends are over there and he just walked <laughs> straight into the pool on the way. Um, another thing I thought you might like to know, since you fell in the pool, you average 100. <laughs> Before you fell in, you average 20. So yeah, maybe about, that was the turning point. Oh, I'm about to go walk past the pool again, so I might accidentally <laughs> slip in. But no, nah, good fun. Um, I thought the boys needed a bit of laughing. Um, I think it was Lahore and on day three, so... Yeah. Away we go. Self-sacrificing <laughs> yourself it, for the team. Um, it must be strange being here. Like, you know, we're in this beautiful spot, mm. palm trees, there's the Indian Ocean crashing on the shore, and then you also know that outside these walls, yeah. a lot of people in the country are struggling. It must be a strange kind of thing to, to keep both of those things in mind at the same time. Yeah, it is. And um, I guess coming over here, we, we knew that um, there were some difficulties outside of cricket. And, uh, look, I think... Since being here, we've, we're all very grateful on the way that the tour has gone ahead and, and you know, coming into hotels and seeing the, the beautiful attitudes of all the staff members. Um, yeah, I guess we're really grateful to, to be able to come over here in a difficult time to play the sport that we love. But also be embraced, you know, it, it can be seen, I guess, is why you're going over there. And, but to have full crowds appreciate the game going ahead putting some smiles on people's faces I guess it's the least we can do is to to, to play but yeah I guess yeah not not you know turning a, a cold shoulder to the fact that they are doing it pretty tough and yeah I think the cricket's been played in really good spirit as well between both teams another test to go um, and yeah can't thank Sri Lanka and the, and the people of Sri Lanka enough it's been quite an intense time for you. There would have been much quieter blocks of six months in Test history than the ones that you've played for Australia. Come in for the Ashes with a new captain, then you go to Pakistan, haven't been there for a quarter of a century, and then and, and the intensity of that tour, you know, 500 guys with automatic weapons surrounding the stadium, yeah. all that kind of stuff, and then coming here in the middle of the biggest economic crisis they've ever had. It, it's a pretty full-on six or seven months for you as a Test player. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah, it's all happened quite quickly, I guess, looking back to the Australian summer and to then go to Pakistan, like you said. And, and that tour was amazing as well. I don't have a bad word to say about that tour. We were well looked after. 
I recommend teams going there and playing. It was it was fantastic. Great crowds, great people. Uh, and then to come here and, and have the family for a couple of weeks as well. And, yeah, that was lovely to have them back travelling with us. Really well looked after. Um, you know, my three-year-old son walking around and, and pointing out every gun that's around us as well for some protection. So a bit of a bit of a weird one there, but um, it's weird how boys do yeah. like they're just cars, trucks, yeah, yeah. guns. That's, he didn't care about the cricket. He just wanted to look at the security in the um, yeah. the army. But <laughs> now nah, we and I'm very grateful for uh, I guess the the way that this team's gone about some change. You know, tours and yeah. the attitude that we've had and. Yeah, we've started this this test series well, but uh, you know we've we're definitely very very levelled in the fact that we know we've got to come back, uh, you know, on Friday and, and perform really strongly in tough conditions um, against a team that are going to be proud to to bounce back. What sort of change is that that you've been working towards? Oh, sorry, change, sorry, yeah, changing coach, mm. captain, personnel, and having to pull together and, and yeah, be yeah, quickly. I guess you know having some success from from the Australian summer to then go to Pakistan with yeah, a, you know, a new looking. Um, leadership group yep. and the way that we performed uh, I think speaks credit to the to the players and, and the new staff to come in and, and keep it really levelled so yeah so far so things are good uh, Paddy's been fantastic with his leadership and, and keeping the group really levelled and yeah I guess for us it's let's get back on the tools today learn from the first test in the fact that we did some things well and some things yep. we can learn and go again Friday yeah, I know in the first instance you'll be looking at that match and there's the home summer ahead, but are you starting to think about India next year as well and how you might be able to um, take what you've learned in the last couple of tours and apply it over there? No, I, I could say yes, but no, personally, I, I'm not. I, I'm a bit of a, a one-game-at-a-time ti- type of guy, uh, understanding things change really quickly in, in this sport and... Hopefully we have some success you know, in, this, in the second test and we, we can be confident going over there and however long it is. But lots, to, yeah, lots of water to go under the bridge uh, until then. Obviously a big, big summer coming up. But our biggest challenge is, is yeah, staying really focused on this test, knowing that Sri Lanka are going to bounce back strongly. Conditions will be tough again. Um, potentially some different spinners. You know, and we all want to go out and perform better than what we did last time. So... Some time in the nets in the subcontinent's great. Um, some time in the middle's great. But, yeah, it's going to be a, a really big challenge come um, come Friday. All right. Good luck. Sweet. Keep sweeping. Alex Carey, thanks for joining <laughs> thanks, us. Thanks, mate. Cheers. Thanks to Alex Carey for taking some time to chat with us on The Final Word this week. Uh, next to another interview with uh, Dan Bredig, who is the cricket correspondent at The Age newspaper and the man we always talk to about the political goings-on at Jollymont, and there have been some of those this week. Uh, Dan, thanks for coming on. Nice to be here. Uh, I think the last time we had you on, you had just moved over to The Age and the Sydney Morning Herald to work as their career correspondent. It would have been around the Tim Payne scandal. Uh, but politics has been a happening this week in CA. There is a case being brought by Network 7 against Cricket Australia on the basis that CA, according to them, haven't delivered the content they agreed to at the start of their arrangement, principally around the Big Bash. Your first impressions of hearing this when the news broke during the Test match at Gore last week? Yeah, so the first impression was, uh, is this about the cricket to come or is it about the cricket that has already been scheduled and played? The legal documents only reference the last couple of seasons, the disagreements they've had about the Big Bash League. Seven's contention that the Big Bash League is not of the requisite quality that they have been asking for. Their reference point for that is quite amusing for anyone who knows anything about the world of cricket, though. They want the BBL to be the same standard as the IPL. 
Mm. I, I would contend that that is not actually possible. But uh, yeah, so that so my first uh, impression was well, if they're going back over that ground, then. I see them struggling to uh, get a verdict out of a court that's any different to the verdict of the independent arbitrator who found in, I think it was February 2021, that for that season, Mm. there's no way of um, asking for compensation for matches that are actually played. The only only compensation that you are due is if there's some cricket not played and in that season it was the uh, the test match against Afghanistan that was uh, that was postponed so uh, in in that case yeah seven may be trying to genuinely get out of the deal they may be trying to uh, genuinely uh, win a court case but they may also be trying to create some more favorable ground on which to negotiate the next broadcast deal in in a year or so's time. Can I position this from the uh, from the perspective of a layman, if you will? There are a couple of things that Channel 7 brought up. One was that uh, Cricket Australia has a salary cap for the BBL teams, which means they can't attract the best international players. And one is that the nationally contracted Australian players don't play enough in the BBL. When they signed the contract, no Australian nationally contracted players, almost none of them ever played in the BBL because they were always playing other things at the same time and the salary cap was already in place. Is it not just complete horseshit to be bringing up these things as a complaint when those were the things in place when Channel 7 signed the contract and said, we want to broadcast this league and we know that these are the the conditions. This is the league that we're buying and now they're turning around and pointing. It's like buying a red car and then complaining that it's red. That's a very fair contention. I don't think the BBL was ever painted to be something that it wasn't prior to the 2018 deal. I think what was disingenuous about what was agreed between Cricket Australia and Seven and Foxtel at that time was whether a tournament almost doubled in length would maintain the same broadcast ratings as a tournament where the teams are playing eight or ten games each. That's the area where the Big Bash League has not stood up in the way that it did in earlier seasons, but that's got nothing to do with the players. That's all to do with the fact that they've stretched this competition Mm. so far from being, you know, a five or six week tournament to being an over two month league. And, uh, you know, if it's going to be an over two month league, then yes, you probably do need to beef up the representation of Australian players. You do need to beef up the representation of overseas players, increase the salary cap, all of that stuff. But none of that was being discussed when they expanded the number of games. So uh, yeah, I think there's uh, there's a little bit of um, hindsight judgment about it all. Yeah, the BBL not being quite so dynamic as it was four or five years ago. I don't think anyone's really questioning that. Maybe they are at CA headquarters. Indeed, CA came out punching pretty hard in response to this, didn't they? I mean, their their view is that they are working to form a better schedule, which gives more freedom for players to be available for the entirety of the window. Where that might hit a snag, though, is we've heard in comments while we've been in Sri Lanka that, that Pat Cummins is not going to play BBL, Mitchell Stark's not going to play BBL. There'll be a host of Australian contracted players who are saying themselves, putting their hands up, saying, well, that would be inconsistent with us being as fit and as raring to go for Australian duty as we otherwise might be. So there's a bit of a disconnect there. Yeah, absolutely. The key negotiation that's happening at the moment in regard to that is between Cricket Australia and the Australian Cricketers Association. Not so much... I'll, I'll amend that. It's not so much a negotiation. They're just in regular discussions because their relationship is pretty good at the moment. And part of those discussions is, well, we're going to negotiate a new collective bargaining agreement next year 
what is the mechanism we can put in place together to ensure that centrally contracted players play in the BBL? And also, mm. what scheduling adjustments can we make to ensure that it is not only uh, you know, a contractual obligation for them, but it can also be a practical reality that they can play? And mm. the thing that is obviously being worked towards is to clear international cricket out of January once the Sydney test is over. So can I ask the question that I'm sure many a listener would ask, which is why can, for instance, Pat Cummins and Mitchell Stark say, we're not going to play the Big Bash, but we will go and play the IPL, which goes for two months? And being fully aware that, say, the salary cap at the moment for a Big Bash team is $1.7 million, and I think Pat Cummins got $2.5 million US last time he went around in the IPL. Setting that aside, nationally contracted players are on big contracts, contracted by Cricket Australia, how can they turn down the home league and then go and play in foreign leagues? Because it's a it's a um, convention. We'll use the use the parliamentary term there. Um, <laughs> that Australian players have always been permitted to play in the IPL because that was part of a deal between Cricket Australia and the BCCI way back when in two thousand and eight, when the idea was. We will, we will play the IPL when you guys are on holidays. We won't clash with your home summer, mm. but we want your players involved to help raise the standard of the, of the competition and raise the profile. Because back then, of course, the players we were talking about were Matthew Hayden, Adam Gilchrist, Andrew Simons, etc. So right. what has happened over, the, over that uh, you know, 12, 14-year period is, yeah, this custom has built up of Australian players being able to play in the IPL. And at the same time in, you know, what was this, three years later when the Big Bash League started up, there was an acknowledgement by Cricket Australia simply through how they scheduled it that they weren't going to ask their players to play in the Big Bash League. The Big Bash League was going to sit alongside international cricket. They were going to be played in parallel and you weren't going to be uh, asked to do both. Obviously, what is happening right now in world cricket is there is so much more money in 2020 leagues. A lot of those leagues privately funded a lot of money from uh, the Indian corporate sector, whether those um, entities own IPL clubs or not. Mm. And that is changing the international market for 2020 players in such a way that pretty much every type of T20 domestic competition around the world is following the same model and Australia are going to be one of the last countries to fall into line, whereby... You can't have one of those tournaments unless you do it at a time that your centrally contracted players can play in it because otherwise the marketplace is too crowded for you to build a tournament that can just be supported through essentially the, the goodwill of, of overseas players coming and, 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 and stocking up your um, teams. The timing of this is also fascinating given that we're a year away from when they'll be ready to rumble again uh, as to who and what actors are involved in that TBC, I suppose, but this is the surest sign yet we've seen from Seven that they want to ditch cricket if they can in the next right cycle. How do you see that shaking out? What are the early signs you're picking up on? I think that the market for Test cricket will be extremely competitive and I think Seven will still be in for Test cricket. They will want to hang on to that. Test cricket's ratings in Australia have increased by better than 20% since 2018, the 17-18 Ashes, and that's even counting for the fact that they were down significantly in the summer of 2018-19 when there was no David Warner and Steve Smith in the Australian team. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so test cricket is something that is, at least in Australia, is on the rise in terms of its value. And Seven probably got test cricket, men's test cricket, for a a pretty um, good buyer's price in 2018. Now, what you 
are looking for, and this is a lot more murky at the moment, is, well, if that's what's the case with Test cricket, we also know that white ball international cricket is probably now stuck forever behind a Foxtel paywall because they will pay a premium to get that exclusive content. But what you've also got is, yeah, a, a lack of clarity on who's going to be interested in the Big Bash League. And it's mm. obviously in Seven's interests for no one to be interested in the, in the Big Bash League because then whoever, uh, you know, if, that, if they decide late in the piece that they want to hang on to it, which, you know, I wouldn't put past them, they can get it for hopefully f- from their end at a somewhat cheaper price than they paid for it five years ago. Yeah, that's... That's what it seems like to the cynical eye, a matter of driving the price down. Because if you look at who are the suitors, Cricket Australia burned Channel 10 and CBS very badly the last time around. Their relationship with Nine is not great. You know, Channel 9 might take the cricket, but they wouldn't be offering anything like the sort of money that has been offered in recent times. And then it, it kind of leaves Seven as the only possible negotiating partner. But why would CA want to go back and renew with Seven when they've already been through two different legal disputes in six years. They've been bad-mouthed by the company publicly. They've had high-ranking officials at Seven trashing them and talking them down in a way that does seem calculated to reduce the value of the right so that Seven can buy it. But if your broadcaster is actively undermining the product, I mean, do they need to look elsewhere, look beyond the the conventional sort of free-to-air TV markets for some other way of doing it? Do they do it themselves? They certainly are looking at more and more streaming partners around the world, but also within Australia. That being said, there is still a view that you want to have your best sport on free-to-air TV. Now, the thing that's going to be interesting, you know, I mentioned Test Cricket before, the thing that's going to be very interesting in this next deal is one thing that Seven definitely had regrets about, if you go back to 2018, is that they didn't get the option of putting... Uh, test cricket on um, their digital app. The digital rights went wholly and solely to Foxtel slash KO. That meant all seven had bought were the, you know, terrestrial TV rights, to use the UK term. And that really stands out, doesn't it? I mean, the host broadcast isn't seven. I mean, unless you're watching seven at the time or you're picking stuff off of Twitter or whatever it is, that's where it lives and dies. There's no further shelf life, if you like, which is such a big big part of finding another revenue stream for these for these digital clips and all the rest of it, as we've seen in the IPL recently. Yeah, yeah. Well, we know from experience of Australian summers ourselves that the digital clip rights that Seven have got for their own coverage are very reduced relative yep. to what Fox are able to do. And certainly the longer we go on from 2018, the more and more the digital rights are worth and the less and less the traditional TV rights are worth. And we saw that in the IPL. Obviously, we're talking about hugely different scales of cash for the IPL broadcast rights. But the thing that was really significant is that the digital rights ended up being worth about 60% of the deal. And that's never Mm. been seen before, uh, certainly in Australian TV sport. So it sounds like that the Big Bash might be what ends up getting parceled off and sent somewhere else. Related uh, but different was a story that you had last week about the the prospective FTP and the arrangements that might be arrived at with scheduling over the next, I guess it's the next six years, isn't it, of the FTP cycle, the Future Tours program, which will see up to 20 test matches played between Australia and England and Australia and India in Australia. So effectively upping the number from four to five for India. And it's quite conveniently set up in such a way that this will be, I mean, if it was the next six year cycle, you wouldn't have India coming twice and in England coming twice, but this time we will. So 
more test cricket with India, first and foremost, and that might be a way to drive the price further up based on what you're saying about viewing numbers, even if Seven have taken a different view about the way in which their messaging is, is publicly of late. Yeah, well, the first thing, if you're Cricket Australia and you're trying to sell your broadcast rights either domestically or globally over a period of time, first thing you want to do is lock in your England and India test tours so you can say to everyone, this is when they're coming. Interestingly enough, the global FTP that we um, uh, have been waiting on for some time and we're expecting or have been expecting it to be released uh, this very month, yeah. um, that remains to be seen whether that'll happen or not. Those England and India tours have been uh, you know, agreed to and locked in for quite some time, I would think probably for at least the last three or four or five months. What's interesting is that in that eight-year FTP cycle... Australia have still got quite a few gaps there that they are yet to fully fill, even though they're going around talking to broadcasters about when England and India are coming. That tells you what the economics are of the thing and how much it matters to be able to say when England and India are coming and how little it matters to say when anyone else is coming. Yeah, it does feel like we're going to feel quite flat when that FTP comes out. Not so much about more India and England in Australia. Sure, that's great, whatever. But even a tour like we're on right now in Sri Lanka, like we've sort of quietly pondered, gee, I wonder when the next time we'll get to Sri Lanka for Test Cricket will be. And that's not unreasonable. That, uh, you know, in the short term, the World Test Championship will be retained. But in the medium term, who knows the countries that might be playing Test Cricket, even though we seem to be at a point uh, where Test Cricket's never been better. I mean, there's so much that's going on right now in the Test Cricket playing world that, that feels inspirational, inspired between the, the 22 yards that matter most, yet off the field it feels like there are there are nations that could drop off more readily than at any time in the history of Test Cricket. Yeah, yeah, and I think that feeling kind of changes. Um, it can change year to year depending on the country. I mean, if you, if you think back maybe 18 months or two years ago, there was some genuine concern that South Africa might not be long for this world in Test cricket. They've had a bit of a regeneration. Yep. They beat India at home. There's quite a bit of expectation that they'll put a good showing in against Australia this summer in Australia, where they haven't actually lost to Australia since 2006. So there can be a little bit of that, but yes, the overall sweep is towards Test cricket continuing to be played by teams with the money to, to fund it and the arrangements to schedule it and the broadcasting demand for it. Yes, there's absolutely a risk that countries like Sri Lanka, where we're sitting right now, could be lost in the wash. On that flat note, well, thank you as ever, Daniel, for coming on and having a chat and keeping us informed of all the goings on at CA. Thanks for joining us. No worries. Thanks to Dan Bredig, as ever, for being an enthusiastic guest on The Final Word. He might be uh, one of the most returning guests we've had, come to think of it. He's, whenever there's a big story in Australian cricket, he's mm. one of the first people that we call. He's, Jeff, al- he's also Bredig in a box, you know, the, who you turn to on story time for answers. That's right. Questions. Let's you, ask Bredig in a box. You, by this stage, you might have heard Bredig in the box part one. You'll hear part two on story time <laughs> next week because we've already recorded that a few oh, days ago. So confusing. Such is the timelines, the warp timelines. It's like a mashup of sliders and quantum lake. Uh, before we get to our mid-show break, we have enough time for some... Nerd Pledge!
Pledge. Nerd Pledge. It's the game that we play with the lovely cricket people of the internet. Here's how it works. They fund the show by sending in contributions that are not normal round numbers of currency. They are very specific in between numbers of currency because those numbers relate to cricket in some way and our job is to decode what the number means. For instance, our Nerd Pledger this week is Tim Clarson. Hello, Tim. Welcome to the show. And he has sent through, in British pounds, £10.11. So 10.11. That could be 10.11. It could be 1,011. It could be 101.1. It could be all kinds of things. We don't know where the decimal is. We don't know what the number means. What does it mean? He comes with a clue. This annual fool was a delight to watch and is equally great to listen to. Now, the pledge arrived on April 1, mm-hmm. and the fool reference... That twigged. Of, that twigged. I thought, okay, this is a this is a birthday thing. Annual fool yep. would suggest to me we're looking at April 1 birthdays. That's the first place I went. It yep. won't be Joffre Archer. It doesn't do a lot of talking, although he does tweet a lot. Sure, but, um, he's probably sent 1,011 tweets predicting the future. Quite possibly. Mohammed Asif, he's uh, not so much a delight to listen to, uh, although an appropriate birthday being April Fool's for, for Mo Asif. He had a delightful wrist. He did. That wrist position. Oh, to die for. The front foot, not so good. As I said on radio once about Glenn Maxwell, his wrists don't lie. It's got to be uh, D.I. Gower, David Gower. He was born in 1957 on the 1st of April. He's now 65 years of age, especially given that bit of the clue, delightful to watch uh, that... I suppose he was the best to watch of his era, certainly mm-hmm. of the England cohort. I was listening to him, Jeff, on the BCCI commentary of the final day at Edgbaston yesterday. One of the joys of being in Sri Lanka is that, well, I say the joys, one of the quirks of being in Sri Lanka is you don't get the feed from the ground, you get the feed that's being made. Mm. Um, I assume it's off-tube, but whether it's off-tube or otherwise, it's a very parochial in Indian call. And David Gower having to play a very straight bat when uh, Joe Root and Johnny Bairstow <laughs> were waltzing to victory on that final day. Not to say he, he got overly excited when he was uh, mm-hmm. leading the commentary for Sky, but yes, he had to be sedate in order to, I assume, continue getting work from the yeah. BCCI. <laughs> had to pretend uh, it wasn't exciting. Yeah, and, and look, no criticism there, by the way. If I was on the BCCI feed, you'd have me in the street chanting, Sajan, Sajan. Yeah. So that was Gower yesterday. Imagine, I'm trying to imagine how you'd do the commentary. You'd be like, oh, yes, another uh, reasonable shot on this very flat pitch. <laughs> I mean, I couldn't believe some of the uh, responses to that immediately being, or you try doing that outside of England. It's like, try doing it inside England. No one's done it before. Well, well, India did it at the Gabba so magnificently last January, which we celebrated as as much as anybody, and they were chasing about 330-odd on the final day. But, yeah, it was a monumental achievement, and that was on a flat one. So we didn't sort of use that as mitigation Mm. for why India, well, it didn't mean so much because it was on a flat one. They chased down 330, and England have done even better yesterday. Um, one thing I found in, in Gower's numbers that I thought you might like, Jeff. Okay. He faced 10,109 deliveries in the first innings of Test cricket. Mm. Now, if you round that up one decimal point, so to speak, mm-hmm. if you go from five digits to four, the final word way, the nine acts on the zero, yes. that would be 1011, our pledge number. Oh. <laughs> Not the way Wisdom do it. Not the way Wisdom do it. Not the way Wisdom do it, but the way we actually, do it on the final word. He didn't face that. Uh, 10,110th delivery, thus yes. you can't give it to him. Yes, you know, yes. He, and he always has to be under. But, yeah, that would be 1011. I, I feel that's probably unlikely to have been what somebody pulled out of your stats, but it could be. So then I thought, if it relates to India, it could be pointing to something else because test number 1011... David mm. Gower played in that test match. Ah. Uh, it was February 1985 in Kanpur 
England touring India. Gow was captain at the time. Famous tour. It was sort of in the middle of his captaincy career, so it's not like significant in terms mm. of it being his last series or, or anything like that. But he's the skipper. They're up 2-1 going into the fifth test, England. So they want to hang on to try to win the series. And India pound them initially. They make 553 uh, sports betting enthusiasts at Mohamed Azharuddin makes 100. And England are well short of the follow-on when the sixth wicket falls. So they've got four wickets in hand and they've got Gower batting with the tail. Yep. And they still haven't reached the follow-on. So they're in some strife. And it's up to Gower and he does the job. He dead bats 78 from 202 balls to get them past 400, get them steady in the contest. And then India, India have a quick bash and they promote... Ravi Shastri, have a chill one on me, to go up the order <laughs> as an opener. And he goes in and pinch hits and gets out immediately. But nonetheless, they, they quickly make 100 or so and declare to put England back in. And then Gower promotes himself to open. So he was batting at number four. And he says, well, if Ravi Shastri can open, I can open, because he was playing well in the first yeah. dig. So he goes to the top of the order. He makes 32 from 98 to dead bat out the test match, make sure there are no alarms, even though his opening partner, Tim Robinson, who we've mentioned on the show before... Many times. ...retires hurt. And you know why he retired hurt? Because he got dust behind his contact lens, Tim Robinson. Very important injury that had him go off the field and, and Mike Gatting had to come out and bat in his place. So, England win the series and it's entirely, well, not entirely, but largely down to the efforts of David Gower going against type, against being a free-flowing, free-scoring player and being a defensive uh, stalwart as a captain. And could that be in Test 10-11, the 10-11 that is being referred to in this particular nerd pledge for Tim? Yeah, I think so. If you're a Gower fan, that, that sort of stands out as one of the great moments of his captaincy career. It's relatively early on in the piece. He has a couple of goes at it, of course. They all did uh, in the 80s for England. But, yeah, winning away in India. It's noteworthy for a couple of things we picked up making calling the shots. One is that Vic Marks was on the tour but mm-hmm. wasn't playing in the test matches. I think Delhi was the test where he got called up on the final day with everyone crook to come in and be a guest summariser. And, and so he remains. He was working last week on, on the Leeds test match for test match special. What, what are we now? Mm. Nearly four decades later, um, 38 years later. And Mike Selby, I think that was his first tour as the cricket correspondent for the Guardian newspaper after he made his, um, his retirement from county cricket. And mm-hmm. Selv is still very much active um, as a pundit on the game. He finished with the Guardian about five years ago, but that was the start of his, of his long stretch there. Scott Bolland's having a ball out in the middle. <laughs> it's the only work he's going to get on this tour or I genuinely still think that it was a mistake bringing him on these tours yeah like my view on this has been from the outset that he's got a national contract that's a great thing Mm -hmm. let him play in England Mm -hmm. just when he feels like it any county would take him absolutely any county would take him it doesn't really matter how often he plays and you want the option of using him in the Ashes in 2023 he will play next year so surely give him a season at county level I don't expect he'll play for Australia again until the first test next year wherever it is Edgbaston I think let him let him go and knock over Tom Abel or you know it it doesn't Really, my point is deployed. it doesn't really matter because no. he's not going to play for Australia anyway, barring sure. some... Unless there's a pecking order thing where one of Hazelwood, Cummins and Stark, but even if they did, they've got... They're sort of Ian Wiz. I mean, they could, Jumping Jai would be the logical person to bring in in that scenario anyway, as well as Bowen sent him down last summer. The next time he's going to be needed is for England. Just mm. let him go over there and live mm. there. Mm. Just He's got his national contract. He's yep. sorted. He's yep. all good. Doesn't need to be a net bowler in 35-degree heat and horrible humidity and anyway my point's made (laughs) right it's that point of the show where 
we should mention Advanced Hair Studio. Yeah, yeah. They're sponsoring the episode. This is how it works. If you uh, don't have much going on up on top and you want something going on up on top, you can have it. The option is there. It, the, the possibilities are open to you because there is a studio. There is a, I, I picture it as a sort of underground lab, maybe like <laughs> you know Walter White style underneath the laundry. <laughs> Gustavo Fring has sorted it out. You know, who knows what's going on down there, but they've got geniuses down there and they've worked out how to re-rug the de-rugs. Yeah, and even if you've got hair as it is and you want a bit more, like Liam Livingston, for example, sure. whose hairline is all the way down on his eyebrow, mm-hmm. he obviously had some work done. Not sure if it was advanced, advanced hair or otherwise, but the point is... He could have got 15% off. He could get 15% off. Anyone can. <laughs> you know, we, we keep thinking about these bald cricketers. Nathan Lyon, who is ratcheting up the all-time charts, if he has a, a good week here at Gaul, he can mm-hmm. jump to number eight. He can overtake... Ashwin and Dale Stain. Yep. That's well within his grasp. I think he's six away from mm-hmm. Ashwin and three Seven. away from Stain, something like that. But, um, yep. you know, we really should have a word to Nath. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sure he's happy with how he's going with his sure. hair, by the way. I'm not, I'm not sort of projecting on him that he's a lesser man for not having a full head of hair. It's more I, it's just what opportunities. for me. Yeah, well, exactly. He how does, often does he have to bowl? Exactly. He doesn't like bowling in a hat. And he's always out there with his little naked, unprotected... Him and Jack Leach with their little vulnerable heads in the sun. They could cover that up. Why do you think Greg Matthews, the great advanced hair studio ambassador for over three decades, why do you think he got involved? Why do you think he used to bowl in a cap? That's why. In no small part, he had to bowl in a cap. It was a taxing thing for him. Mm -hmm. Once the cap was gone, he was liberated. That's it. And as we saw in the ads back in the 90s, you could pick up Mo by the hair if you're Mm -hmm. a karate expert and throw him to the to the ground with yep. that new hair on top. I remember that ad. It, yep. it was, it's a distinctive um, advertisement from its time. <laughs> I don't know whether our ads for Advanced Hair will be quite so striking, but our discount is important. Mm-hmm. 15% off. AdvancedHairStudio.com forward slash final word. We have a website on the Advanced Hair page. I think that is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Had you said to me or probably to you... Four or five years ago, when we started making this podcast an awful lot, there'll come a point in time when you will be partnering with Advanced Test Studio. I would have been happy as the proverbial dog with two of them. And here we are. We're doing it. AdvancedTestStudio.com forward slash final word. Jump on the page, take a look, refer your friends who need a bit of extra support, um, who want a bit more hair up there or elsewhere. Anywhere. I, I, I'm, I'm assuming sh- it works. I'm not sure how the... The program works. Perhaps we should. Um, <laughs> perhaps we should find out a bit more before we make any promises we can't keep. Nonetheless, uh, yeah, that's the website. If you want, check it out. Please do. Advanced Studio, the world leaders in hair restoration. Hi, I'm Dave Warner, and you're listening to the Final Word. Final word. Adam Collins, Jeff Lemon here in Gaul, but we're going to jump back over to England, where. Well, they chased down 378 in 78 overs. They didn't even get a second year ball, India. They've done it before lunch on the fifth day after losing three wickets in five minutes either side of tea on on day four. Another unbeaten century for Johnny Bairstow. Another unbeaten ton for Joe Root. Mm -hmm. I mean, the Daily Shows tell the story to an extent. We've had those coming through on the feed from... Uh, Daniel and Henry Moran have done a great job, very enthusiastic telling of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, the Sound of a Bat tells another story, great piece from Jonathan Lewin, The Guardian, about how it sounds when Johnny Bairstow bats at the moment. I, I can recommend that. There's a bit of social content from the ECB where they've they've got every Bairstow boundary this summer so far, but just clipped up together like a supercut. Bang, 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 bang. Mm-hmm. It's, it's music. Great writing around as well. Jared Kimber has talked about, maybe we should start here, that England are breaking up conventional cricket by just not honouring conventional lines and lengths. Mm -hmm. They are playing the game completely on their terms at the moment and 
the confidence they're showing even when they get in trouble, it's it's a total joy. Yep. No other word for it. And yes, the, the sort of response that, oh, well, that was easy because of the pitch or you wouldn't be able to do it on a dust bowl or whatever. I mean, that's not relevant because nobody was doing it on these surfaces. Like, this is a thing that doesn't happen. The history of Test cricket, there have been 32 successful run chases of over 300. That's it. Yep. 32. England, and this is the stat I put up online, chases over 275. Up until a few weeks ago, there have been 53 of them. England right. have done four in a row. <laughs> four in four tests. So they're 53 in 145 years, and then they've done four test matches in a row. Now, the, you can quibble about, oh, the bowling wasn't that good for New Zealand and this and that, but, I mean, it's still Tim Southey and Trent Bolt. You know, it's still sure. some good bowlers. It's still last-day run chases. It, then it's the Indian attack who are very, very, very good. You know, you've seen what they could do with the newer ball. And, yeah, it becomes easier with the older ball and the flatter tracks and all the rest of it, but teams still don't chase 350. Like, it doesn't matter what the conditions are. It doesn't matter how easy the batting is. On final days of test matches, it doesn't happen. It's very, very rarely happened. So I think any sort of attempt to downplay it is silly and uh, the, the significance of it should be noted. Yeah, it's petty as well. Yeah. I mean, um... Also throw in Headingley and the game against Pakistan when Butler and, and Wokes did it. Yep. That makes England have got six of those 275-plus chases in the last three years. So out of 57 in history, they've got done six in the last three years. And in the middle of all of that, they were the worst team in the world about yeah. three months ago. I and mean, they, legit. They didn't get a win in 17 tests. And Bairstow's in the middle of all of that, right? So I, I can't quite get over the fact yeah, yeah. that in the 19 test matches before his recall at Melbourne, he averaged 20 <laughs> across three years. He was statistically <laughs> the worst batter in the world for one through seven. He had yep. the lowest average through that stretch of time. This year, he's made 994 runs, the most in the world, at a strike rate of like... 110 or something, mm-hmm. with six centuries in eight test matches, averaging 70-odd, but that's not important. It's the runs, it's the tons. It's the way he's done it. 55 for six at Leeds a couple of weeks ago. Uh, at one point in the first innings this time around, England were 80 for five, I'm pretty sure, when he came mm-hmm. together with Sam Billings. Um, he's doing it when it's tough. He's doing it in these run chases, obliterating these run chases. He's been essential to three of the four. Yeah. Uh, and Root steered the ship in the first one when Besto hadn't quite found his groove. There is something going on here that's much bigger. It's recasting what's possible in the fourth innings. All of these rules that we thought were hard and fast clearly don't apply anymore. The, the data you're running through there just yep. starts that process running. It's going to inspire other teams with the way they play. Why wouldn't it? How couldn't it? Mm. Not every team might have their best weapons geared up this way. And this is a point that Dan Bredig has also made is that, you know, England's best way to hurt you right now is with their white ball batters if they get it right and they're finally being yeah. liberated to try and hurt you whereas before it was a bit of you know let's just try and mould our games or refine our games mm. to the test space and occasionally it would work like in South Africa in 1920 but most of the time it wouldn't Yeah. and now they're like well actually why don't we try and play to our strengths and of course the, the Brendan McCullum influence and all of that well and, and I think it, it hasn't just suddenly started with Brendan McCullum it's been more like more broadly it's been something for the last maybe five or six years. You remember Pakistan making 450 at the Gabba in 2016. Sure. Was yep. that the way that Pakistan chased in Karachi when they, you know, they could have won chasing 500 at that point if they'd had a bit more time, you know, if, if they hadn't had to 
shut up shop with not quite enough time remaining to go for it. Cusal um, Pereira? Cusal Pereira against South Africa, that incredible innings six months before Stokes did it. Mm-hmm. Headingley, Stokes at Headingley is a, is a precursor for this as well. Kyle Mayers in Bangladesh yep. in chasing 380 or so. You know, huge, huge totals have been being chased more often in the last five or six years than they were historically before that in tests. So I think there was a trend towards this and this is an acceleration of that trend rather than being the start of that trend. Yeah, so there's some similarities here to what Sri Lanka were able to achieve in 50 over cricket. Kind of from nowhere as well, mm. before the 96 World Cup, where they started going for more ambitious chases. Yeah. I mean, not to say you were never not chasing that, but sure. teams weren't getting to your 250, 260s batting second. Sri Lanka started doing it. They won a World Cup. You know, and really from nowhere. If you go through the yeah. history of Sri Lankan cricket, they were nowhere close to winning anything like that until the eve of that World Cup. Yep. I do see some similarities with England. And, and yeah, McCullum unlocking them the way he unlocked New Zealand before the 2015 White Ball World Cup as captain. Great piece from Vish, Vitushna Hantaraja, on Crick Info, where he's just recently joined as one of their senior writers, moving over from the Indy, mm-hmm. about how they went to watch the Elvis film the night before the test match, or at least Stokes did. I think Root right. had gone with him. And there's a part of the film where Elvis is told that he isn't to gesticulate to the crowd, he isn't to thrust to the crowd, or he'll be locked up by the police. Don't even... <laughs> and the last line in that, apparently, the scolding is... Do not even move a little finger. So when you saw Root waving his little finger to the crowd upon making 100 this week, that was a reference to that. That's what it was. And the extra bit is where Stokes says to Root, I mean, it's, you know, these little tidbits are gold. Stokes says to Root before day five, what are you? He goes, I'm a rock star. I mean, like, this is is the way... What are your legs? Steel steel springs. springs. What are they going to do? They're going to hurl me down the track. (laughs) This is what's going on here. It's the power of positive thinking. And I know that that's not everything. You've got to have... Pretty good yes. skills to be able to achieve that. But yeah, there's other little nuggets here in that Vish piece that I found quite interesting. So they've got a playlist that's okay. playing all day through the dressing room, uh-huh. not just before the game, all day. They yeah. walk into a happy environment of music they like that they sing along together in the rooms. Brenda McCullum is sitting in the public bar every night, almost like, come and come and hang out with me, anyone. Right. On a big table. Again, it's all Vish's piece. I'm just thieving from him here, but it means the players will sidle up to McCullum in the hotel bar in front of everybody just to have a little chin wake. None of these kind of private rooms and private yeah, corners yeah. and velvet ropes. It's all very open and, and egalitarian, convivial. Right. And none of these one things contributes to what we've seen over the last four weeks, but it's not nothing either. It's, it's, it's all playing its role mm. in, in creating an environment where these where these things that shouldn't be possible based on conventional wisdom are very much possible, even when you lose three wickets in 10 minutes and sure. you think the chase should be over. And, and I, I think, so in, in a way, you're seeing this white balling of red ball cricket. And the other aspect of this is that that only works if you've got really, really, really good white ball players. Yeah, yeah. Like, we saw Shahid Afridi try to white ball red ball cricket in his career, you know. And, yeah, he hit more sixes per test than anyone in history um Dingers. He, he's, he's still got through i think he was two sixes per test match which no one's ever gone close to on average but he only played 27 tests i think and it didn't work consistently because he wasn't good enough he wasn't controlled enough with the bat he was too uncontrolled in the way he went about it that it wasn't consistently reliable we've seen lots of players come out and slog in test cricket and hope that it's going to work and you know usually they're tail enders and occasionally they make a quick 50 and most of the time they don't you could send a lot of teams out and try to do this tomorrow and it wouldn't come off because they don't have 
the skills drilled into them already. But in this England team, you've got Joe Root and Johnny Bairstow who have done this for a decade and you've got Ben Stokes who's done the same. And it seems impossible that you couldn't get Joss Butler to get his head right to do the same kind of thing. Because they've got that base in white ball cricket where they're absolutely elite at that level, then they can try to apply it to this. And, and being liberated to do so means that they're able to switch those skills. I don't think anybody could do it. I don't think any team could do it. I think teams will try and fail, but so much of it is about the inherent quality of the white ball player to start with to be able to bring that across. Yeah, so Stokes said last week that they... Or I think Sorry, McCullum said last week they'll keep pushing harder and harder until they fail and wind it back a notch from there. Stokes made some ridiculous comment after they won saying, in a way, they were hoping they'd set them 450 just to see whether they could do it or not. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is where their heads are at at yeah. the moment. And you're right about... Players who are temperamentally disposed to this besto with being one of the great England white ball players, but yep. never really translating to red ball cricket with the exception yep. of one year back in 2016, a long, long time ago. He hadn't made 100 at home, yeah. had not made 100 at home mm-hmm. for six years until three weeks ago. Now he made, he's made four in, in three test matches. And there's the liberation of that as well, that he's, I mean, up until this year, up until Sydney, basically, besto was a player who had already, already failed at test cricket who didn't expect that his career would continue. I would say He's he got was the second chance. I would genuinely say, and I don't mean this to criticise, I, I, I feel bad saying this given the way he's going, but to put it in perspective, I would say he would be have the worst record for anyone who'd played 82 test matches ever. It's hard to think of anyone mm. playing for that long and having that modest a record as a batter. Yeah, having one great year. There, there might be someone, and someone might pull me up in the comments, but I can't think of anyone who would have played that much mm and had that little success with the exception of one year yep. as best though. And so, I know that's a, a conversation around what role he was playing, sure. shuffled around the order, wicket-keeping, not wicket-keeping, batting three and all the rest. But still, on raw numbers, he had been a, a yep. mediocre at absolute best test player. So there's a liberation in saying you've got this, you've got a free hit, basically, if yeah. you're him at this second, well, or this fifth or sixth or twelfth <laughs> go, whatever it is at test cricket. There's some liberation in being Joe Root because you're already an all-timer for England and you don't really have anything left to prove. What really stood out was a player like Alex Lees, Alex Lees, who has had a short career and has failed so far up until, you know... A few been, weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. Ha- hasn't looked great in Test cricket, has had a lot of low scores in the few chances he's had and then comes out and plays the way he does. That's what shows you that it's, it's really translated. If he felt the liberation to play with the freedom, he did. I would go as far to say you can see it from Lees, the... the the kernel of this, if you like, was at Lords. Mm. The way he played for 30-odd, might not have even been 30. might have been 25. Mm-hmm. The way he played for that brief innings when they were chasing 275, wasn't it, at Lords? That was yep. the first of the four, first of the sequence. It's like, right, he is going after this. There were comparisons, unfavourable comparisons to Dom Sibley when he was batting in the Caribbean earlier this year. Understandably, in that environment at that time, just trying his best to kind of hang on mm. amidst wholesale changes to... The leadership, they knew that Joe Root was going to be finishing up by that point, I'm sure. Um, they just sacked the coach at that juncture. There was a, an assistant coach in Paul Collingwood doing the job at that point. There was so much uncertainty. This is pre-Rob Key, even, you know, right. well and truly pre-Brendan McCullum. And with all of those changes made, Lees has been able to be his best self. And, you know, what did he strike? The fifth fastest 50 for an England opener ever, a 44-baller, mm-hmm. something like that. I know he gets out shortly thereafter, but... And Crawley, I know a lot of people are very angry about Zach Crawley playing Test cricket at the moment, and and that they have a claim, they have, a, they have, they're entitled to feel angry about Zach Crawley playing Test cricket right now. But I also understand the the inherent logic to what they're doing. They're saying that 
this guy is not going to be consistent the way that he plays, but mm-hmm. he fits with the model that we're using where we want match winners. Right. It's kind of like the West Indies T20 mentality from yeah. 2016 where they had four guys batting between five and eight. None of them were consistent, mm-hmm. but any of them could win you one game sure. in the tournament, and that was sufficient to keep picking them, and yep. they won the tournament because they all came off at least once. Yeah, The same thing, I mean, it's not conventional right. playing Crawley, you, you know... It, it, it cuts against everything that we understand to be real and normal and true. Yeah. I even balk at it a bit when I hear him say these things. But I get that it's it's controlled. It, it, there's a logic to it. Just because there's scale, though, in, the, in a T20 game, one player coming off can win you a match, whereas in a test, that's not going to work. Two, you need more than two players to make well, a big score. Well, maybe so. What did they put on in the fourth innings? That you know, they, they lay that 100 and something yeah. in no time at all, going at six and over. That meant that when, even though they lost those wickets, yeah. Root could be Joe Root. By the way, Joe Root, who has made, uh, what are you up to now, eight centuries in the last 11 months. He made four in that series against India. No England player had ever done that in a series. Uh, he's made 11 since the start of 2021. Uh, Smith's made one in that time. Coley, of course, has made none. And Williamson's made one. Gives you a sense of the way he's turned mm. his conversion problem around, if there even yeah. was one. Well, I suppose there was a conversion I mean, issue. I there was. Of course there was. But that's totally changed now. And I know some Australian fans will go, but he didn't do it in Australia. And that's true, he didn't. he didn't. But he's still scored 1,100 since the start of 2021. He's still yeah. scored eight in the last 11 months across sort of five countries. Yes, he didn't make 100 in Australia, but look at the way that team were going and look at the way he was going at the time. He was a broken man. Well, he's not a broken man anymore. He's a rock star yeah yeah how do you think chris silverwood's feeling just uh, just watch his Sri Lanka team get yeah. smashed into in a bit days here and uh gets to go home turn on the tv and watch england do that i did think about silverwood in the context of what's going on right now so 12 months ago it was all about the ashes right yeah and they botched the new zealand series and mm-hmm. in a way they kind of botched the india series although it sounds daft to point that out when they've gone to two all over notionally but which that, is there were, there mean, were, it's not a series yeah there were warning signs there were warning signs in that India series for what yeah. was going to happen against high quality team in Australia go the other way I think they can get excited about the Ashes 12 months from now because this isn't about them trying to manufacture some uh, some scheme where mm. they are a pretty shit team but they but they sneak a victory in Australia I don't even, yeah. know, I don't even know what their plan was they had 12 plans none of them worked yeah. this time it's like well we could be the second best cricket team in the world in 12 months time Australia might be the top team it, it's theoretical at this point a lot of water to go under the bridge but it might be that they are one and two coming into an Ashes with England playing the way they're playing and Australia probably reaching the top of their peak mm-hmm. um, an Australian team that will have at least Warner, Kawaja and Stark playing in their final Ashes series, you would think. Probably Smith playing his final series in England. I assume it'll be Anderson and Broad going around for a final time, although you never rule it out. It could be the end of a really interesting generation between Australia and England taking place when they have both got back towards the top. So I'm not saying we should gibber on about the Ashes every week, uh, but I think we're entitled to go, hey, that could be fun, so long as things keep going in the direction they're going. Could be fun, yeah. I'm, I'm a bit more like, where was this six months ago? Exactly. You, you're like, come on. We had to watch, no more Ashes! We had to watch the most the insipid, <laughs> insipid Ashes series of ugh, absolute flat squashed cane toad of a, an Ashes series. It was the worst Ashes, I think, in living oh, memory. Certainly the worst of my lifetime. Yeah. yeah, it was just, it was a, you know, an animal balloon that had just been pricked with a pin. <laughs> it was awful. So, you know, look, I'd, I'd rather, I'd, I'd much rather watch a buccaneering sort of England yeah, do yeah. their thing. The England women's test match, yep. they had some gumption as well. So I really liked this because 
Catherine Brunt retired, Anya Shrubsall retired. We'd been talking about the transition of quicks. And suddenly there was this freshness. Like the England women's 11 has felt pretty stale for a few years. It's so often very, very predictable. They bring Lauren Bell in. They bring Izzy Wong in, the new fast bowlers to spearhead things. They both take wickets. They bring Alice Davidson-Richards in. She makes a ton. Nat Siver just continues being a freak and makes 169 not out. They replace Lauren Winfield Hill at the top of the order as well. So Emma Lamb comes in, and it felt it was rejuvenated literally. Like there was there was this freshness to that England team. They're going on to do something new, and and then you watch Izzy Wong bowling absolute wheels and like hooping one through the gate yep. of Laura Volvart, and then South Africa played exceptionally as well. Marazan Cap pulling off, you know, she makes 150 when they're in strife in the first innings. I mean, she's just getting better and better and better as a cricketer. And then she's there batting them out for a draw as well to make sure that England can't get there. Another bloody four-dayer with, which lost time to rain, which meant that they couldn't get a result. But the fact we had South Africa back in Test cricket for the first time since 2014, and that we had an England team that was using its next generation instead of keeping them on the bench, all of that felt Full of energy. Bloody good test match, I thought. Just to pick up on your points, England made bold calls at selection, which came off. Uh, They got all the big calls right throughout the course of the test match in terms of strategically where they set up the pins. In the absence of rain, they win the test. If there's enough time to get through the completed overs, they they win the test match. They certainly would have won it had it gone five days. And that's been the case with all of the draws in the last few years. They've all all had results possible had there not been time lost. Yeah, yeah. It's, It's an added frustration. Certainly... Certainly it was a far more interesting affair than, than the one that played out at Taunton. A higher scoring rate, better tempo. It's as though mm. these England players who have gotten more of an opportunity to play test cricket yeah. recently. I mean, it doesn't feel like they've played loads, but the very fact that there were, there were a couple last year, they've, yeah. you know, they've got some experience in recent times, is contributing to them mm. playing more assertive test cricket. Love the fact that Izzy Wong's part of that. Yeah, sure, it was via injury with Arlett missing out. Uh, sorry, with COVID, I should say, not recovering from her symptoms in time to be part of that initial squad. And Wong was brought off the bench. And, you know, she's an ambitious cricketer. I love her ambition. I love the fact that she says she wants to be the first bowler to bowl 80 miles an hour. I know that puts the noses out of joint, but I like the way that she says that. That They're her words. She she wants to be quick. She mm. wants to be mean. She wants to be nasty. She wants to be a transformative cricketer. And she's got skills to back it up. That ball that she bowled to Wolvart was the stuff you dream of as a first test wicket. The spell she bowled late on day three where she was hooping it around corners. Mm. I only caught the highlights. Unfortunately, there was no live broadcast here, but I saw enough of it. And, and of course, our colleagues who were there covering it at Taunton to sense how good she went. So, well played her. Bell's been prepared for this for years. Like mm-hmm. She's been playing that role as the senior attack leader at domestic level. Um, she's done her apprenticeship. And the great thing around the domestic system in England right now is you have time through the Rachel Hayhoe Flint, through the Charlotte Edwards, through the 100, through the academy squad. There is time to prepare and build up to be a test cricketer and be an international cricketer. You don't need to do it when you're 17 anymore. You don't need to make your debut on spec because you've had you know, one good performance in a dilapidated county cricket competition with five yeah. divisions and ramshackle and 14-year-olds making up the numbers. It means something when you make it through the ranks to, to the top flight now. So, yeah, the, someone like Bell's a, a case study in mm-hmm. that. Davison Richards, the fact that she had enough time to be in the international wilderness for, oh Christ, it must be four or five years. I've been following her career really closely since 2017. I interviewed her back then before the, must have been the second edition of the KSL. She moved clubs. She was, you know, an industrious all-rounder. She's quicker now. She's very good head on her shoulders, 
great human being. I've mm-hmm. done a bit of commentary with her too. She's a great egg. And again, it's temperament, perfectly positioned to come in, take advantage of her opportunity. She's played around the world. She's played in Australia. She's been in the A squad down in Australia this winter and takes advantage. And what a great story, walking out and making 100 at the first time of asking a test player. Her response was glorious. And that Siva, back-to-back 150s for England, one mm-hmm. in the World Cup final mm-hmm. and one in the test match. So a lot to take from it. Generation Next has arrived. Brunt and Shrubsole have timed their retirements, I think, really well. They were right to go around again for the World Cup. They both performed well there. Uh, I know Brunt's going to keep playing white ball, but they were right to, to pull out when they did. And also a word for South Africa, Marazan capped that 150 you referred to before. I hope they've got the taste for it. I hope mm. that they go back to their administrators and say, we love that. We love that. Mm-hmm. Please give us another opportunity as soon as possible as at soon home. As you can. Please let us travel somewhere else. Let us do it in Australia, yep. whatever it takes. I yep. think I, I hear they might, they might be one in the, in the works for Australia, by the way. But keep banging the drum, keep telling the story and offset those comments from Greg Barclay the other week through sort of people power. Yeah. One thing Barclay did say, by the way, is that women should play over five days. And also that they wouldn't because nobody would schedule test matches. So can I bounce from that to New Zealand cricket, which got some good press during the week, saying, oh, we're going to give the same match fees for men and women. Great. I mean, that's good. It is good. It is really good. That's a good... It's a big step in the right direction. Good equalising thing. Um, Particularly, though, the bit that jarred was uh, the test match fees (laughs) for the women will be the same as their test match fees for the men. When was New Zealand's last test match? 2004? Why did they put it it out as a... This is is the board that refuses to play test matches because they don't want to cop the bill. They they say it'll cost too much money. They shouldn't have put this as part of their media announcement. I didn't see the release, so it might not have formally been in the... In the statement, but well, there, the it was certainly reported on, right? Yeah. yeah, it was certainly reported on that the test playing fee remains the same. They've when set a fee. They've got a board that's you know adverse to this yes. uh, in every way. Um, yeah. It might be their players too. It might be their players that say, right, okay, match fees one tick. Yep. More contracted players needs to come next. Yep. Domestic players being contracted. We can't have this. You know, it's the same problem England had a decade ago, that, that domestic problem. That's what's yeah, happening yeah. in New Zealand. That, that so, pro-am sort of split where they've yeah, got about almost 15, like am pro. 15 pro players. Almost am yeah, pro, yeah, yeah. you know, and, and they need to... And, and as part of that, we want to play some Red Bull cricket. We mm-hmm. want to play a test match. We want to play against Australia. Let us do it. Yep. And we're seeing the players talk more forcefully. I saw Jess Johnson during the week talking mm-hmm. about this. Like, it's not as though the players aren't afraid to tell the ICC to shove it on this one. Mm-hmm. And I know the ICC... If anyone jumps in in the comments on this, I know that they are but a federation, that Mm -hmm. Barclay is but the chairman of a board and the executive would have a different view potentially or Mm -hmm. members of the executive and members of the the day-to-day operations in Dubai to the board. It's not... There isn't one consensus view on this as the ICC, but the fact that the chairman said that means there are unfortunate price signals about women's test cricket, and it's going to take the players pushing back as they tend to be as one at the moment. And there'll be no India... England test when India go to England later this northern summer. They're yeah. playing white ball games, so the reason given for that was there wasn't room in the schedule to make it happen. But again, if you really wanted to make room in the schedule, you would. Yeah, I, I heard that... Yeah, I haven't backed this up. I haven't done the journalism on it, so I'm reluctant to say it. It's been reported somewhere that India were keen, but they just couldn't quite quite squeeze it in that time of year. They are playing at Lords in the final game of the year, and that's significant yep. the same weekend as the Rachel Hayhoe-Flint 
Trophy final. So, I mean, that'll be a huge weekend at Lords and again, a step in the right direction. Shameful, shameful. The Eton and Harrow game has been moved and the women are allowed to play at Lords. I think the last oh. Eton Harrow game was played last week, wasn't it? The yes. last one they're having at Lords. I but yeah, so. so there's still more to look forward to in the England summer. And of course, a truckload of white ball games against South Africa that start yeah. next week. Um, India, they're here at the moment. Um, they won the T20 series 2 1 and they're 2 0 up in the ODIs. This is their post Julian Goswami, post Mathali. Raj ODI era um, and they're doing it pretty comfortably as you'd expect. Having watched that test coverage uh, from Edgbaston yesterday I've seen at least 50 commercials for the Matali Raj uh, biopic that's coming oh, out yeah. uh, in the middle of July. Yeah. Maybe we should try and get, I know Matali won't come on the podcast but maybe we can get the actress that's playing her or maybe the director or something like mm. that. We can um, if you know Medali and she's willing to come on, let her know. But yeah. I, I doubt, I strongly doubt she'd be willing to do it based on our luck getting Indian players before. Probably got a bit too much on. Yeah. And, they, and they've probably got a, uh, you know, no objection certificate that lasts for 20 years after yeah. retirement. Um. So, yeah, but you're right. It's it's the new era for one-day cricket. And, you know, encouraging for India that they, they've got someone they are throwing the new ball to in Ranuka Singh. She took four for 28 in the second one-dayer, which meant they bowled out Sri Lanka for 173. And India knocked that off in like 25 overs with uh, Mandana making an unbeaten. 94 and Shafala Verma finishing on 74 not out so one one day to go Chamari Atapatu in the T20s made more runs than anybody hit twice as many boundaries as anybody else and she's actually coming to England for the um, mm. the fair break tour um, around England and Europe uh, through uh, I think it's through the back end of August so if you want to watch Chamari Atapatu up close you can do so at various parts of the United Kingdom and in Europe uh, at some point in August because she's a bloody star. Sore shoulders, though, from carrying Sri Lanka for <laughs> about 15 years. I mean, they've got to sort out some... It's it's what you're talking about with New Zealand, but, you know, on steroids here where the, the next level of players, even in the national team, um, a lot of them aren't... They just don't have the training, the backing, the funding, yeah. the the first class system or the domestic system to be able to produce good players. I mean, the the way that... The spot that Sri Lanka's in at the moment producing cricketers is not a priority, but in the broader term, um, the investment just isn't there. I'm a touch jealous of the Indian team, by the way, being out here and being able to go to both uh, Dambulla and to Kandy, where we went in mm. 2016. I'm sure they've gone up Sigiriya and all the rest of it, where I've loved being in Gaul. And, you know, we haven't really talked about this much, Jeff, but they're doing it tough here. I mean, the, the, the electricity cuts that we're experiencing in hotels, well, that's that's costing real money for businesses and mm. there aren't many tourists here so I'm glad we're here on that basis but I also would have loved to have gone back up to to Candy and Dambulla maybe next time yep and uh, our last spot on the show I mean had we done a weekly show last week we would have talked a lot about this um, would have been the is, first item I suspect as it is it's the last item we're basically waving at the retreating figure of Owen Morgan yep. having retired as England's white ball captain Joss Butler's a new one in 13 years with England after debuting with Ireland back in 2006 um, two World Cup wins the T20 one that, that, that breakthrough one for England in 2010 and then the 50 over World Cup in 2019 and it's interesting there, there's always that strange point towards the end of a career when a player's struggling where people are saying well they should go they should go they should go and when they do go suddenly all of the fondness pours out and, and you can you can love and appreciate them for what they've done because the full stop's been applied to the end yeah appropriately so with with Morgan uh, you know he hit nearly 7,000 one day runs mm. at 40 odd 13 tons uh, he won 
76 of the 126 one day as he captained, which is a 60% strike rate, which is pretty impressive in considering the form of the game. And he started what he the took 2015 over. World Cup when they were absolute dog shit. Uh, absolutely. That, that, a much higher rate from about yeah mid-2015 onwards, you mm-hmm. could say. And yeah, the circumstances upon which he started that seven-year reign as white ball captain, the ultimate hospital hand pass on the eve of the 2015 World Cup. And oh, yeah. you know, we spent a lot of time in this episode already talking about what England uh-huh. are doing so differently in almost the flick of a switch moment with their test yeah. team. Well, Morgan oversaw that with the one-day team. Yeah. Those performances against New Zealand in, in 2015, I was in the Caribbean at the time on my first test tour doing this for a living mm. and no one could quite believe this was happening. Like, is this the same England... I mean, it's not the same team, first of all, but how has this happened so quickly from Mm -hmm. being bundled out um, of the uh, World Cup before the quarterfinal stage by Bangladesh and Adelaide to three months later hitting 400-plus a couple of times in a row under Morgan? And he, he changed all of that, so... Of course, there was the, the day he twatted 17 sixes at Old Trafford that you and I missed because we mm-hmm. were recording a very early edition of Storytime with Daniel Norcross at a pub in King's Cross. I'm like, oh, yeah, England. Was it Southampton? It was at Manchester and we were in London. So we yeah. were watching, um, this, we were watching the, the coverage. Um, the Afghanistan game, that's right. We were watching the coverage on our phones. Well, oh, we'll just, we'll, you know, England got 10 overs to go. They'll get 300 odd. Little did we know that Morgan would go on and do something extraordinary and hit 17 sixes so huge legacy and great opportunities he's already mm-hmm. been signed by Sky he did a test match for Sky when I was there uh, it would have been the first test of this summer mm-hmm. at Lords, and he's clearly excellent at that job so we'll get his insights for years to come and he's handed over to, to Joss Butler at the right time like Butler's done his apprenticeship he first mm-hmm. stood in for Morgan in Bangladesh in 2016 you know it feels like it's the right moment for that that fresh blood as captain we saw in Amsterdam a couple of weeks ago that Butler is effectively leading that team in spirit yeah. now he gets to do it um, in practice as well and, and they're going to chase some big scores they're going to make some big scores and they've got some big moments coming up that T20 World Cup in Australia immediately followed 12 months later by uh, their, their World Cup defence in the 50 over format yeah, it's the opposite version of the way that Morgan was handed the captaincy so yes. when Morgan gets the captaincy it's basically do you remember Henry Lawson the loaded dog the story about the guy I think he's trying to get fish he throws a stick of dynamite into the river and then his dog jumps in and brings it out and brings it back to him oh. you know, the lit and and it's the fellow's running away from the dog that keeps trying to oh, 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 here you go keeps trying to bring him the stick of lit dynamite that was owen morgan getting the captain <laughs> what owen morgan's given to joss butler is like a nice gift wrapped present you know it's all yeah. ready to go it's all set up you know it's like he, he hasn't just bought him some ikea furniture he's assembled it for him you know so he's, he's come home and it's all ready so yeah, they, they've got an extraordinary opportunity. I think they they fell short in that last T20 World Cup when they probably should have been in the final there, and they'll be pretty sore about that and, and wanting. To, they've got a quick chance to turn that around. You know, less than a year later. Yeah, they looked like the one seed in that T20 World yeah. Cup until they were eliminated unexpectedly in that semi-final and that's the, the vagaries of T20 cricket 50 over cricket you get a much longer lead time you get mm. nine group games a semi-final and over that stretch of time the important part here is that Morgan actually gives them an extra spot in the batting lineup yeah. because you can imagine a world where I know Livingston is in their best 11 but as analysts like Matt Roller and Ben Jones have pointed out like with Morgan there it does constrain them somewhat as yeah. good as he was over such a long time now they have a chance to you mm. know go up another half a gear or something like that. So well, the great the contribution he made in the world record score game, the 498, was getting out first ball because you know, he didn't waste six, seven True. or eight deliveries to get out for a duck. He just got out of there and let them keep going. 
So well played Owen Morgan uh, into his retirement. He goes, but a champion of the game and a World Cup winning captain. That's it for us, Jeff, in the weekly show. Uh, it's all been thanks to Advanced Hair Studio, the 15% discount we mentioned before at advancedhairstudio.com forward slash final word. Take a look at the webpage. Even if you're not interested in the discount, mm-hmm. click on the page and if, you, if it works for you, send it to somebody you know. They don't need to listen to the show to unlock that discount. All they need to do is put in their details and one of the specialists will get back to them as soon as possible. 100% guarantee the world leaders in hair restoration. Uh, if you like what we do more generally and want to be part of the weekend shows, which have been pretty good of late since we've been back together sitting across a desk rather than talking down a Zoom screen. Mm-hmm. We've got quite a lot done on Storytime 96 and 97 I think we're up to, something like that. They're, they're already in the can and ready to roll for next week. Um, we'll be making daily shows from Gaul. We'll be making Probably some daily shows when you join me in England next week, Jeff, during the England-India men's one-dayers, then into the Commonwealth Games, and so it goes. And am I missing anything? I, I, Have probably, we covered everything possibly, off? Possibly, but, I mean, who knows? Keep an eye on the feed, and uh, what appears will appear. Thank you for listening. This has been The Final Word with Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon. We'll do it all again in a daily show very soon. Bye. I had to go about it.